0: The Joyce Kaufman podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. Oh, my goodness. I, I, I made up in my mind that I am going to be very, very careful about what kind of information I consume on a very regular basis, okay? Because there is just such a concerted effort to destroy Donald Trump that I've never seen anything like it. Now, let me remind you that when I first came on the air in this market some 33 years ago, Bill Clinton... Suddenly, out of nowhere, was emerging as a candidate, as a Democrat candidate for the presidency. And it was like a turning point in my life because I did not like him. And I did not like him because I knew people who had served in his administration in Arkansas, one of whom went on to serve with him in D.C. And they told me things about him, which ended up being true. He was a whoremonger, all that stuff, right? So that was when I. First, got a taste of how different the media handles news about the people they love and the people they hate because they loved them some Bill Clinton. They loved them some Barack Obama. And you could see now, obviously, that was true of other previous politicians and presidents, but I wasn't on the air here. But I was on the air for Clinton. And I was on the air for Barack Obama. I was on the air for both Bushes. No, just one one Bush. Well, no, no, both Bushes, actually. (laughs) Um, And so I've watched how the media literally will completely ignore any negative news about one person and will thrive and even make up bad news about another person and... Every year it just gets worse. And I guess I don't, I, I, I don't even pay attention anymore. So I've decided that I'm going to be very, very limited in what I consume. And that doesn't mean I'm not gonna read the news, I have to, it's my job, right? But I'm going to be limited. In other words, I can look at an article and read the first paragraph and know where this article, what kind of bias is in this article And and go for it. Now, obviously, yesterday, a very serious event happened. A ruling by a New York judge, um, which is, of course, going to be appealed, was very, very damaging because what it does is it could destroy the Trump empire, the business empire. And a big blow to the former president. See, they won't stop until they've destroyed his business, his family, and him if the appeal is not successful, that means that the Trump organization's ability to do business, in other words, their business certificates, the corporate licenses that are held by Donald Trump, by his family, by the Trump organization, and the various uh, limited liability corporations that they have will not be allowed to conduct business in the Empire State as long as that revocation is in place. It's literally a corporate death penalty. It means you're no longer a company and the judge is appointing someone to take over the assets and distribute them as the court sees fit. Or at least that's what one of these financial crimes prosecutor John Moscow, was telling the New York Post. Manhattan Supreme Court Justice Arthur Engerin ruled that the businessman greatly exaggerated the value of his wealth to secure favorable terms with banks, which ultimately led him to worldwide fame and into the White House. Part of the ruling dictates that a receiver must be put in place to manage the process of the LLCs getting shuttered. Recommendations for the position must be given to the judge within 10 days. Now, let me ask you a question. How come there's been no ruling about all of these sub chapter corporations that the Biden family has? How come they haven't shut down the Clinton Foundation? The, I'm just asking because it just seems to me what's sauce for the goose is sauce for the gander. But as I said before, for the last 33 years, I'm watching the disparate justice. So when people get all upset and say, oh, this Department of Justice, oh, Merrick Garland, he he has it in for Donald Trump and he's letting the Bidens get away... This is not new. Why is everybody so surprised? This is the same old, same old. I think a lot of us had a little bit of relief during the Trump administration, and we thought, well, they can't ever go back to doing this crap. They went back in spades, okay? They went back 10 times harder. And that's why you have a man in Donald Trump who says, I want retribution. I'm putting them all in jail. And everybody, oh, he can't say that. No, no, no. That's why you can't have him in office. This is crazy. This is the front runner in the Republican Party who appealed this ruling, I'm sure. It'll cost him, I don't know, uh, they said something like $250 million in penalties. That's what uh, Letitia James, the AG in New York, is asking for. That's a pretty heavy lift for someone who's not liquid. You know, Donald Trump's money is all tied up in Donald Trump's organizations. It's just, it's mind-boggling to me how they can get away with this, and yet they can turn a blind eye to everybody else. I mean, that Clinton Foundation raised all that money, paid enormous salaries to themselves and their friends, never did the charitable work that they raised all that money for, took money from foreign governments, all that, and never got shut down, never got investigated. Nothing. You know, and, and... As soon as she was not elected president, as soon as she lost to Donald Trump, where did the uh, Clinton Foundation go? It got really quiet, didn't it? I don't even know if it exists anymore. Maybe it does. Maybe she sees an opening to reinstitute it. I don't know. You can't, well, there is a possibility. I mean, obviously, you're going to have an appeals case, which could take months to figure out. But he could absolutely ignore this ruling and just take on the monetary funds for conducting business in the interim. But there's no real criminal ramifications if he does that. Any normal person like you and me would be very concerned about what happened. And they would start probably by looking for new shareholders or selling or looking into transferring some of this real estate into different entities. But I don't think Donald Trump's going to do any of that. No, I really don't. I mean, he wants a fight. And he challenges civil rulings and civil outcomes all the time. So trust me, I don't think he's going to roll over and play dead for Letitia James or this judge. Period. End of sentence. And that's why, I'll tell you, I just can't read all this garbage anymore. It gets to the point where you realize, even like conservative publications... They understand the biggest clicks, the most people turning into your stories if you say something about Donald Trump, negative, positive, doesn't matter. Just use his name and that'll be enough. Now you got the judge down here in Miami, Eileen Cannon. She has uh, set some special hearings for the two co-defendants, but now she's facing an appeal over the lack of written reasons for holding the hearings. So she, you know, even if you're affiliated with Donald Trump, or even if you're sitting on the bench and a Donald Trump case comes in front of you, unless you're trying to destroy Donald Trump, they are going to destroy you. Who would want to be an attorney for Donald Trump at this point? When you see that you can be subpoenaed, you could be charged, you could be indicted, it's crazy what's going on. And the majority of Americans, they're too busy trying to figure out how they're going to pay their mortgage, how they're going to pay their car insurance, how they're going to put gas in their car, how they're going to buy groceries to pay attention to all this. Only the political people are paying attention to this. But they have the power to move elections. It's just, it's disgusting is what it is. Okay? bankrupt Predators. I don't even know what else to say. I, I can't think of words that I'm allowed to say on the air that describe how I feel about right now, how I feel about the left. What is it that uh, Mark Levin's new book says? The Democrats hate America. They hate America. Like, get out. Go away. Leave those of us who love it. Let us rebuild it. We tried already, and it was working. And then that pissed everybody off and they started going after us, calling us deplorables and MAGA lunatics and right-wing nuts and all the rest of it. Well, I heard on Dan Bongino's show earlier, he said Rush told us this was gonna happen and now Dan said he's here to tell us what to do or how to prevent it or how to fix it or whatever. Well, that's why I'm here too and that's why most of conservative talk radio is still hanging in there because we believe there's still like this last hope. And and we'll do everything to try and save this country because we truly, truly love this country. I know you're on our side. Don't forget to download the app, the 850 WFTL app. That way you can listen to the podcast. You can participate in the contest and all that good stuff. Get uh, weather alerts. Well, I don't know what this weather is today. It's pouring down right where I am. And if you don't want to do that, if you're intimidated by apps, then just check out our website on a daily basis, 850wftl.com. Uh, coming up, not in this segment, but in the segment after, Bill O'Reilly's got a new book out, Killing the Witches, which I've read. And I love the Killing series. I, there's something about me. you know, Just, it's like criminal minds. The word killing just tickles me. Terrible, huh? Anyway, let me take a quick break. I'll be right back. So, if you weren't uh, scared enough about artificial intelligence, and I know I got a lot of listeners who go, Joyce, don't be afraid. This will be good. We're going to be fine. And I get it. Anything that we could use to better society, we just have to monitor. But listen to this a Langer monkey was seen, a couple of people were walking into a railway office and they found this Langer monkey sitting behind the desk in an office chair, typing away on the keyboard and flipping through files. Now, obviously, he didn't know what he was doing. He was just imitating what he had seen other people do. But if these uh, chips that Elon Musk is planning on putting in people's brains are inserted in the monkey's brain then perhaps the day will come when it won't be artificial intelligence taking your jobs away. It'll be some cheeky monkey or something like that. I'm always amazed at how I'm drawn to stories which essentially remind me that they keep holding up the shiny thing for us. You know, oh, Nikki Haley is the best hope against Trump. She's got a lot of independence. And and does anybody in my listening audience, anybody in my listening audience, believe that Nikki Haley is going to be the nominee for the Republican Party? Just one person. If you, if you believe that, send me an email. And I will give you um, a prize, <laughs> a book. I don't know what I'll give you. But I just, and don't lie. You have to really believe that Nikki Haley is going to get the nomination. My listeners are too smart for that. You're not going to say that. By the way, the primary has turned out to be quite a snoozer, according to the advertising executives. Even Fox Network has cut their ad prices because nobody cares. You know, during the first Republican presidential debate, which was on Fox News, I think this one is on Fox Business tonight. But the first one, they were, I don't know, 30 second spots were almost half a million dollars. Tonight, during this contest, they're less than half. And Fox is charging two hundred dollars 25,000 for 30 second ads during the broadcast immediately after the event, and 125,000 for 30 second spots during the broadcast. Does that even make sense? I'll tell you what it means. It's what I was just telling you before. The average American has become totally uninterested in all this. How much bad news and and people screaming at each other, and courtroom dramas and indictments, do you think the American public can stand? Because I, I believe they're saturated. I believe they've had enough. And these debates just aren't big-time TV. This is a snoozer. Like I don't really anticipate any monumental moments from... The governor DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Tim Scott, maybe Chris Christie will act a fool. Yeah, you know, it's good for entertainment, I guess, but I won't learn anything, and it's not going to lead me to uh, consider Chris Christie as a serious candidate, right? So, what are we watching it for? All these people should drop out. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Meanwhile, the Hollywood screenwriters, that that strike is over. However, the actors are not back at work. 148-day strike, that's a long time. And they struck a deal. You know what they said? No AI writing scripts, or at least there are some protections about the use of artificial intelligence. And, uh, you know, look, I, I give them credit. They did what they felt they had to do. Now, the agreement with the writers probably will help the actors' union and the studios come to some kind of resolution soon because the two unions have a lot of uh, the same concerns. The writers' union contract now sets the template for Hollywood's other trade unions. Actors' union leaders could go have negotiations with the studio by the end of next week. What can I tell you? They unnecessarily, the studios unnecessarily woke a sleeping giant by leading the writers to strike in the first place and, and then allowing this strike to go on as long as it did. It just doesn't look good. And it gives all the other trade unions affiliated with the motion picture industry as well as the actors' unions, as well as SAG, um, the, the, you know, the desire to strike themselves. By the way, tonight you can expect to see uh, Governor DeSantis and Vivek Ramaswamy center stage flanked by Nikki Haley and Mike Pence, then I believe Tim Scott, and I don't even know who the rest are. (laughs) Chris Christie's at one end and and uh, Doug Burgum, I don't know, one of the other guys at the other end. It's really, it's, it's a snoozer. I'm not watching it, not live, I'll watch the highlights, you know, afterwards. Kind of like watching a football or a baseball game. You don't have to sit through the whole thing. You just watch the highlight reel on ESPN. Politics have become that. And this debate is definitely a snoozer. Anyway, I'm going to take a break because we have Bill O'Reilly coming up in the next segment. And I always like to talk with the man himself. And, uh, and I wa- I'll need some time to do that. So just stay right where you are. I will be right back. All right, and uh, welcome back. You know, my audience knows I don't like interviews because most politicians are boring and most personalities don't say anything more important than I say. However, then there's Bill O'Reilly. And I love talking to Bill O'Reilly, and I follow him like millions of other people at his BillOReilly.com website in the No Spin News. And you get to hear him on this radio station every evening for the Bill O'Reilly update. So I always make an exception for Bill O'Reilly. How you doing, Bill?
1: Well, that's nice of you, Joyce. I'm, I'm very happy to hear that. I'm the same, which is tragic for everyone. But how are you doing? That's more important.
0: I'm doing great, and I have to tell you, I love the Killing series, and I was really surprised at how little I knew about what went on in Salem, Massachusetts. I mean, we all have this vague knowledge of the witch trials, but you get into such detail about how it was affecting the, uh, the, the way this country was founded.
1: You bet. Uh, so Killing the Witch is the 13th Killing book out yesterday, Already a big hit on Amazon, and we want everybody to consider it. Um, And the reason I wrote the book is because we have a witch hunt today in America. Mm. And so I, I book and my book, we're telling you about how this hysteria in Salem, Massachusetts, led to the execution of 20 innocent people, and hundreds of others put in jail, some of whom died in jail, and then today we're not hanging people but we're destroying their lives on accusations and innuendo and foolishness and hysteria the Mm. witch hunt is back
0: yeah i couldn't agree more but i I think that most people will really enjoy this book primarily because there's so much american history in it and we're starved for american history
1: well Well, the first thing i do in the book is put you on a mayflower Mm -hmm. So that 66-day voyage from Plymouth, England, to Cape Cod, you know, people go, oh, pilgrims, Thanksgiving, Passover stuffing. No. Mm
0: -hmm. You did not
1: want to be on that boat coming across the frigid Atlantic Ocean. Uh, And we put you right there. And then the Puritans get here, and half of them die. Uh, and the other half are telling them each other they're going to hell, and there's all kinds of crazy stuff going on that leads to the hysteria of the witch trials in Salem. Yeah. And then Benjamin Franklin, a teenager, a genius already, who lives in Boston, gets onto this witch hunt thing, visits the chief witch hunter. Um, Cotton Mather in Boston, and Benjamin is so appalled by all this that he takes it to the Constitutional Convention, and that's why the United States has freedom of religion. We're not a theocracy, because Patrick Henry, the give-me-liberty-or-give-me-death guy, wanted the country to be a so-called Christian nation, and it was a brawl in Philadelphia between Franklin, Jefferson and Madison and Henry and his acolytes. So I get into all of that and we're hoping that people want to know about their country. And then it goes to modern times, Joyce, and that's Mm. harrowing as well.
0: It certainly is. And of course, I have to ask you, I mean, as you watch this tonight, there'll be this snoozer of a debate that uh, they can't even sell ads for or they have to cut the price in half for these ads. I, I don't understand why... With seven candidates standing on that stage, is no one interested in hearing what they have to say?
1: Well, I think they've heard what they say. Mm-hmm. That's why. And, and there's another factor involved that um, I don't think your audience knows about. At 8.30 tonight, a half an hour before the debate begins, on X twitter mm-hmm. Tucker Carlson will be interviewing me.
0: Oh, all right. I knew First you were going— time ever.
1: Um, He uh, part of Killing the Witches caught his attention but we talk about cable news we talk about network news we talk about his situation and uh, all of that it's an hour interview we taped it a couple of days ago in Manhattan and it's something so all you gotta do anybody listening to Joyce Coppin, and that should be mandatory in South Florida (laughs) every day (laughs) is go to BillOReilly.com we'll have a little box just press it in that whole interview will appear before your eyes.
0: Yeah, that's way more interesting to me than watching this debate. It is, it will be,
1: that's for (laughs) sure.
0: Yeah, And, and so much, you know, you have to admit that the way that the network news is going and cable news as well, um, people are saturated. People are, don't know what to believe, or they just listen to whatever political philosophy they share. There's no information out there. Where are the investigative journalists? That's something you did for decades, got Emmy Awards for it. Uh, people like Lara Logan, people like Barry Weiss, they've all been forced out of the mainstream, but they're surviving on the Internet.
1: Yeah, I had Lara Logan on my show uh, two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. We're an independent agency, as you know, and we put on anybody we feel is sincere. Um, Obviously, I don't agree with them all the time, so we have debates, and that's healthy. But the corporate news on television is now run by people who want to make money. That's it. There's no higher goal for them. They don't want to inform. They don't want to gather information. And a lot of the anchors and commentators, as Carlson and I discussed now uh, tonight, are frightened. Mm. They don't want to lose their jobs. Right. So, therefore, they play it real tight. Mm-hmm. And that's why pe- fewer and fewer people are watching and listening.
0: Yeah, well, and they can look and see, you know, the way that that Tucker was outed, the way that you outed that, you know, the people that were number one, um, and and networks just dispose of them, you know, like they weren't number one. I I, I find that amazing, and nobody ever seems to be able to replace them. How about that? Well, that's good.
1: Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> they go to BillO'Reilly.com, where where the I think, most successful independent news agency in the world now. Mm -hmm. Um, And Carlson's doing the same thing with Twitter and X, whatever it is. I'm not in that world, but I understand that millions of people are going to see this interview over the next few days. And if you want to reach me, Bill at BillOReilly.com, tell me what you think about it. I would be uh, interested to hear what the folks think.
0: Oh, I'm sure they will be watching. As I said before, they're not interested in this debate. Now, let me ask you just a final political kind of modern-day question. What do you think about Donald Trump not participating in these debates? And even more strangely, the witch, witch hunt that's happening right now, every day it's a headline about how they're going after this man or his family or his organization.
1: Well, he's the poster boy for the modern-day witch hunt, and he uses that phrase. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no doubt about it. I'm not, not being Trump's lawyer here or his apologist or anything like that, but the two cases here in New York are both absurd. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they should never have been brought, they would never have been brought about anybody else but him. And he's correct when he, when he describes it as a witch hunt. Mm-hmm. The people who hate him want to destroy him. As far as the overall uh, political climate now in this country, it's like Salem. There were good people in Salem in 1692 who objected to these witches being accused and executed, but if you spoke out, then you were accused of being a witch. Mm -hmm. So if I, Bill O'Reilly, or you, Joyce Kaufman, speaks out and says, you know, maybe it's not fair that Trump's undergoing all of this, then they turn on us. Mm-hmm. saying that we're Nazis or white supremacists or whatever you know, they <laughs> want to do. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it's a modern-day witch hunt. Yeah. So there's a lot of fear involved here right mm-hmm. now. And it's all coming from the progressive precincts. You don't see conservative traditionalists doing the cancel culture stuff. Mm-mm. It all comes out of the progressive left.
0: Yeah. Do you think it's a good idea to engage with them, though? Now we have our governor, DeSantis, going to debate with, uh, you know, Gavin Newsom. Like, I don't understand what the purpose of that is.
1: Culture war. Yeah. So if I'm uh, DeSantis, I think this is a big opportunity. Number one, DeSantis has to show more personality. Yeah. That's what's holding him back. In my opinion, he governed the state of Florida pretty well, and I'm down there a lot. Right. Okay? So I, I see. But he's flat, yeah. so he's got to up his game. And the culture war between Florida and California couldn't be more opposite. So let's see who has, states their case in a, be- a better way. Mm-hmm. I told Hannity today on his show, uh, radio show, that I thought it was a very good deal mm-hmm. and that uh, you get a lot out of both of them and then let the American public decide was a stronger argument.
0: Yeah, I think, though, in many ways, it reminds me of Nixon and Kennedy. I mean, Ron DeSantis, you're so right. He is so flat. And Gavin Newsom is not only attractive, but he is just articulate and, and, and a lot of hand gestures. And I just can't imagine how Ron is going to stand up to that.
1: Well, it's a good opportunity for DeSantis. He needs yeah. to light some fire under his campaign, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, All right, well, thanks so much for coming on. And you got to read this book. I read the whole thing. I got the book early because, of course, uh, Bill loves me. And so I got the book, Killing the Witches, and it's amazing. The horror of Salem, Massachusetts. What you didn't know about this is important to know. Bill, thank you, and I'm going to be watching tonight. Now I have something to watch. Thank God.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it, Joyce. Always a pleasure to talk with you. Anytime you need me, just give me a ring.
0: I sure will. Thanks, Bill. Okay, bye. That's uh, you know. Listen, I I love his books and I love him and and there were times when he and I had uh, legitimate uh, differences and debates. But he is so smart and so fair, and that's uh, unique. I remember, yeah, just having a getting a fair shake from him every time. All right, the book is "Killing the Witches: The Horror of Salem, Massachusetts." Available on Amazon. It uh, it premiered yesterday. I've got, I love the cover of this book. It's like got all these Puritans and these witches that they're, you know, trying to take their clothes off. It's really, really, it's an interesting cover. Anyway, let me take a break. Don't forget coming up after me is Eric Erickson and then Joe Paggs, Lars Larson, and tomorrow morning at six o'clock, Jen and Bill will be back with the South Florida Morning Show, followed by Brian Kilmeade, followed by Dan Bongino, and then followed by me. So stay right where you are. You got no reason to touch that dial. Uh I'll tell you, you can't, you possibly, you know, there's room for discussion about this thing. I'm watching Bill O'Reilly and Tucker Carlson on X tonight. I can tell you that right now. I am not watching this debate. Um, I'll see the highlights later on. But it's interesting. A couple of different things are happening. First and foremost, we have no idea what's going on with the House and the budget bill. And one thing we do know for sure is that the Speaker of the House either has to find a way for this very narrow majority that he has to fund federal agencies, or he's going to have to go to the Democrats to do it. Now, if he can pass a bill that cannot make it through a Democrat-controlled Senate, then we're going to have a shutdown. I'm okay with that. I think it was Mark Levin said yesterday that during the Reagan administration, and he was a part, he was the Edwin Meese's uh, chief of staff in the Department of Justice. And so I'm, I'm, he said there were nine shutdowns during the Reagan years. I don't remember nine, but I certainly remember three. And I remember thinking after, during each one and after each one, like big deal. I had someone say to me yesterday, she said, well, I was, trying to, um, I was trying to borrow some money from my brother who's a Marine, but he told me the government's going to shut down and he won't get paid. And I said, no, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not what happens. There are certain things that may have delayed paychecks, but I really don't think that the military falls into that category. Now, what's so fascinating to me is how the media will keep saying things like that because it arouses the passion of the listening audience, of the viewing audience. They won't tell you that, like, the EPA um, employees are not going to get their paycheck until the government reopens, right? But they will get their paycheck. You know, anybody who's living paycheck to paycheck, we feel their pain, but it happens to everybody. What happened during COVID-19? A lot of people went without a paycheck. A lot of people lost their jobs forever. A lot of people's businesses went belly up. And to this day, I don't think it was right and I don't think it was necessary and I certainly don't think it was fair. I think about all those essential employees that had to run a risk. They were telling us that this uh, COVID-19 was gonna kill millions of people And then we said, but if you're like a low-level person who works at Walmart, you go to work, you're essential. Here, put on this mask, which we knew wouldn't protect you. And then once we let the public know it wouldn't protect you, we said, oh, well, we said that because there weren't enough masks for doctors. That's never been true. Somebody asked me, that person asked me yesterday, why I think so many people around the world and why so many people in America died during the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. And I said, cause we didn't have a clue how to treat it. See, now we know how to treat colds and the flus and we know how to even treat uh, viruses like HIV. We know how to treat hep C. We can cure or at least um, allow people to manage their lives with the terrible things, even many cancers we have been able to arrest, and and we have people who live long lives with viruses like Hep C and and, and even HIV. I remember when HIV was a death sentence, and it's not any longer. How long has magic been alive and positive? Decades, decades. So when they told us, oh, but COVID's different. Nobody will survive it. We threw everybody into these overcrowded hospitals even old people, and then we threw them back in their nursing homes where they could spread the uh, virus that we were telling everybody was gonna kill everybody, particularly old people, and then we were intubating them. Now today, if you show up at a hospital with COVID today, because I had a friend show up with COVID just this last week, they don't intubate you. They have a treatment protocol that they follow, and primarily some people have you know, a little fever and maybe some cough and maybe some headaches, basically a bad flu. And they treat it just like they treat the flu. It's a different medication, but it's the same kind of concept. And people recover. We had no clue how it was transmitted, how to, you know, arrest it. And so we were doing all these extraordinary things. I likened it to the story of when I had my first child. I had a friend who was a pediatric cardiologist, good friend, close friend. So I said, well, that's a piece of cake. You know, I'm living in New York and I don't know any pediatricians. I don't have a lot of friends who have babies or children. So I'll go to my friend. He's a pediatric cardiologist, pediatric. That's all I heard was the pediatric. My daughter ran a fever when she was like four weeks old, five weeks old. I took her to the pediatric cardiologist and he told me, oh my God, I got to do a spinal tap. And I didn't know. So my poor little baby got subjected to a spinal tap and all she had was a urinary tract infection, right? Which most pediatricians would have diagnosed immediately without doing a spinal tap. But if, 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 you, if the only uh, tool you have is a hammer, everything starts looking like a nail. If you're a pediatric cardiologist, all your patients are in dire straits. So you want to do you know, extraordinary things. I always pick an older pediatrician with a lot of uh, knowledge, a lot of experience. When I came down here to Florida, Dr. Robert Hayes, I will never forget. I walked in that man's office. He was like 65 years old in those days when I was young. I thought, oh, he's so old. But he knew everything. My children... I said, I don't want all these massive vaccines injected into my children. Can you break them apart? And he said, Yeah. You know, he was just experienced. My kids would get sick. He, I'd bring them in. He'd say, Give them, you know, pediolite and, and uh, a little Tylenol. They'll be fine. Nothing was earth shattering. And the same thing with COVID. We had no idea. So we went to extraordinary lengths and did ridiculous things. Sorry, they were ridiculous. And then we fast tracked the vaccine one the one thing i'm pretty annoyed with donald trump was the fast tracking of that vaccine because i don't believe it's a vaccine and i don't believe that that mrna should have been administered to everybody leastwise to young people and children and i know that today but i didn't know it then although i had a pretty strong strong idea that we were going down the wrong track so I'm, you know, I'm one of these people who, when I learn, I learn. I don't repeat the same mistake over and over again. And I suggest that you not either. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. A big speech tonight. Donald Trump will be in Michigan making a big speech. Bill O'Reilly will be on X with Tucker Carlson also talking about the media. I'm sure they'll talk about the election and all that stuff. But it's amazing, it really is, to see how crazy the media has become and how unfair, well they haven't become unfair, they've always been unfair. But I just, I, I, I'm weary, everybody's weary. I can't turn on television, I can't watch anything anymore because it, it'll be whatever the, the host of the show, whatever their opinion is, that's what I'm gonna hear. Lara Logan said it yesterday on my show, she said look, Nobody's looking to give you information. They're looking to editorialize. And so, more, so people are always going to tune in to the editorial that lines up with their political philosophy, right? And that's deadly, deadly for a democracy. Can't have a democracy. I, um, I have a listener, I thought he was going to tell me he was going to support Nikki Haley. He said, Nikki Haley is the Republican presidential candidate, no way. But I do think she'll be Trump's VP pick. <laughs> And thanks for my, you must refuse to comply pin. I love my listeners. I love each and every one of you. If it weren't for you, I wouldn't do this because it is a thankless task. But I thank you for your time this time until next time. Um, I plan on being right back here. And actually, I'll be up in the studio with Sharina tomorrow at 3 o'clock to do my show if it be his will and he delays his coming. What lies behind us and what lies ahead of us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. So wherever you are, just be yourself. Everybody else is taken. And then may God bless you. And may God bless the United States of America. See you all tomorrow.